Well, good morning, everyone here. Good morning to our friends at Farmington Hills and everyone tuning in online this morning. Today we'll be continuing our series called Christmas at the Movies. We've been looking at various Christmas movies this holiday season and seeing what can we learn from these movies that we've watched throughout the years. And today's movie is going to be one of my favorites, It's a Wonderful Life. So before we go any further, let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. God, thanking you for the opportunity to gather, the opportunity to worship. God, thanking you that we get to sit and sit under your word. God, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, show us some glimpse of redemption through today's movie. And I pray that you would be lifted up and exalted. I pray that you would minister to your people and touch their hearts, God. It's in your son's Jesus' name that we pray together, amen. There's a man down on earth who needs our help, said one angel. What's wrong with him? Is he sick? No worse than that, said the angel to the other. Worse than being sick, he's discouraged. The main character in It's a Wonderful Life is a guy by the name of George Bailey, and he finds himself very discouraged during the Christmas season. When this movie first came out in 1946, it was an absolute flop. It didn't do well in theaters. The critics said it was a terrible movie. It wasn't a good movie to play during the holidays because who would want to hear a story about a discouraged, despondent man during the Christmas season? So it absolutely flopped and it didn't gain popularity until later. But boy, were they wrong about that movie being a flop. It's a Wonderful Life has gone on to be one of the most critically acclaimed Christmas movies of all time. As a matter of fact, on most lists of Christmas movies, it's ranked number one. That's the number one Christmas movie of all time. Some people even rank it as the number one movie of all time. So boy, were those critics wrong. And if they would have done their homework on the Christmas story, I think they would have seen that if you look at the backdrop of the Christmas story, the backdrop of the Christmas story actually is kind of dark. And if you remove and commercialize and sanitize the Christmas story and remove it out of its original dark context, I believe you run the risk of losing appreciation of what Jesus actually came for. And I believe that we lose the appreciation of what Jesus actually saved us from. And for those who don't know Christ, I think they can lose a picture of what Jesus can save them from. There's no darkness too dark. So as we look at the backdrop of the Christmas story in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet paints this picture. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Christmas is about light entering into the darkness. So those critics of It's a Wonderful Life who said it was too dark, they clearly didn't understand the main context of the Christmas story. Also, I think the movie is wildly popular because people can actually identify with and relate to George Bailey's stress. Statistically speaking, 38% of people surveyed said their stress increased during the holiday season. The reasons given include lack of time, financial pressure, gift giving, and family gatherings. Somebody said, oh Lord. 
The expectations of Christmas can tend to weigh on people. And sometimes the added expectations that we place on Christmas can cause us to miss the joy of Christmas. Those added expectations placed on Christmas can cause us to lose the joy of Christmas. What are some of those expectations that people place on Christmas? If you're watching online in the chat, you can put it in the chat. You can talk in church for a second here. What are some of those expectations that people place on Christmas? Like gifts, gift giving, looking for the, the per- parties, all, all those parties. The introverts hate that, all those parties. <laughs> Decorations, oh my God, we gotta put up the tree. All right, and they go on and on. Elf on the shelf, somebody doesn't like Elf on the shelf. Okay, I don't know what you have against Elf on the shelf, he's cool. But there's these expectations that we place on Christmas and all of these expectations for good things. It's supposed to be a good time. It's supposed to be a jolly time. Sometimes there's expectations to do things. Sometimes there's expectations to be things, expectation to be jolly, and you're maybe not feeling like being jolly. Or an expectation to be religious. Some people don't want to show up to church, but your family made you show up to church today. And if you did, I'm glad you're here. So so you have this expectation to be religious that you're really not feeling. And as we look at the story of George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, he had a ton of expectations for his life. Let's take a look. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college to see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields, I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high, I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Tonight, Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! George wanted to give her the moon. She threw that rock. What she wished for was that house, that house that he considered a rundown old house. George had these big expectations. He was going to see Italy and Greece and the Parthenon. He was going to build skyscrapers as high to the clouds. And he had all of these grand expectations for himself. But in reality, that is not how life panned out. He never really traveled the world. He ended up staying close to home in Bedford Falls, that town that he considered a crummy old town. He ended up remaining there for the rest of his days in this movie. And he didn't build skyscrapers. As a matter of fact, he built homes for his neighbors. And he really lived more like a local hero. And there was a big gap between his expectations of fame and wealth and power and global recognition. 
Those were the expectations, but the reality was actually a life of modesty. And he was a local hero that was a blessing to his friends. And he had a beautiful family, and this is how life turned out. But here's what we know. The distance between expectations and reality is often called disappointment. The distance between expectations, what we expect, and our reality is often called disappointment. And we can fall into the gap of disappointment. George fell into the gap of disappointment. He didn't have a a bad life, but it wasn't the life that he expected for himself. See, George had the cupcake. He had the cupcake. He had the full substance of the thing, the essence of what he needed. But what George wanted was more icing. He wanted more icing on that cake, more power, more influence, more recognition, bigger, better, more. And if we can be honest, this is what we're tempted with in life. God provides our needs. He provides everything that we need. And a lot of times what we're anxious about isn't the cupcake, isn't the base of what we need. A lot of times we're anxious for more icing. And I bet this icing is going to fall over if I keep adding it. But that's what he wanted, more icing. He wanted more and more and more. And if we're being honest, we like icing because icing is sweet. And so we, we, we like a little more and a little more. So he was disappointed because of that. He didn't get the icing that he wanted on the cake. So someone is going to tempt George and offer him a little icing. Let's look at this. Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point? My point is they want to hire you. Hire me? Yeah, they want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes. A couple of business trips to New York a year, maybe once in a while Europe. You wouldn't mind that, would you, Jones? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else around here, are you? You know, th- this is me. You remember me? George Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, whose ship has just come in. Provided he has enough brains to climb aboard. Confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three years contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? Well, Mr. Potter, I, I, I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I, I just, uh, I, I wonder if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, and in the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. Okay, Mr. Potter. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. 
don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer's no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You... And that goes for you, too. Now, Potter offered George a lot of icing. He offered him $20,000 a year. Now, we have some mathematicians in this place, some accountants and engineers, and someone sent me the uh, direct equivalent of $20,000 in our day. $20,000 in our day, uh, in their day, is $315,000 a year in our day. George turned down $315,000 a year. He turned down the icing to stick to his morals, to stick to his beliefs. You don't have to raise your hand. I wanted to ask how many people would have turned it down, but that's okay. I don't want to put you on the spot like that. But he turned it down. And this is the type of guy that George was. He always stuck to his values. As a young man, he went deaf in one ear because he saved his little brother from drowning. That's how he went deaf, because he was sacrificial. On his honeymoon, he gave away all of his honeymoon money to the rest of the people in the city because they were going through a tough time financially during the Great uh, Great Depression. And so he gave he and his wife's honeymoon money away. He actually stayed in Bedford Falls, not because he wasn't ambitious or had dreams. He stayed in Bedford Falls to take over uh, his father's business, the building and loan, that, that local small bank. And so he gave up the icing time and time again. And we can applaud him and say, good job. But in reality, George found himself a very bitter man. Because though he was doing the right things, he didn't have joy. He really didn't see his life as a wonderful life. He just was going through the motions being moral and good. You know, if people looked at Jesus' life and they judged it according to our standards of a wonderful life in the Western American world, a lot of people would say that Jesus didn't live a wonderful life. A lot of people in Jesus' day said that he didn't have a wonderful life. Let's look at Isaiah 53. It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like from one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus lived the life of a humble servant. He never married. He never was wealthy. He never had power according to this world's definition and standards of power. He died a public, shameful death on a cross, and that Jesus looks at you and me and says, take up your cross and follow me. I offer you a wonderful life. A life that this world might not see as wonderful, but a life that is truly wonderful indeed. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I offer you a wonderful life. Some of you have already made that decision to follow Jesus, and you're living that wonderful life. And I just want to give you a word of encouragement 
You indeed are living a wonderful life. Even if the world doesn't see it as such, even if certain days you don't see it as such, but life in Jesus is indeed the wonderful life. And I pray that as you go throughout the rest of this year, as we wind down 2023, that God would show you the impact that you're making, the lives that you are touching, the blessing that you are to so many people, and that you would see that your life is indeed a wonderful life. George Bailey didn't see it that way. So much pressure in his life, financial pressure, family pressure, it began to crush him and weigh down on him, and he has a meltdown. Let's take a look. Uh, Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am, a dictionary? Tommy, stop that, stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it, stop it. Soon after this meltdown, George Bailey would head to a bar and get intoxicated, get into a bar fight, get all beat up. And after he was beat up, bloodied, and discouraged, he found himself at the top of a bridge ready to jump and take his own life. He was ready to commit suicide. I want to speak to that, that reality of suicide. I know it's a very real thing in our world today and in a room this size and online, you've either contemplated it yourself or you know someone who has taken their own life. And I just want to speak sensitively to you and say that what you're going through matters, that you matter to God, you matter to me, and you matter to a lot of other people as well. I just want to encourage you to, to, keep, to keep going. There's an idea that this time of year, suicide rates actually increased. There's this idea, there's this notion that suicide rates increased during the holiday and winter months. And most Americans believe this to be true. Statistically speaking, this is not true. Suicide rates do not increase during the holiday months. A lot of time the movie It's a Wonderful Life is cited as some kind of evidence to prove that that's the case. In actuality, suicide rates decrease during, during the holiday months. According to the Center for Disease Control, the, the winter holiday moments, months typically have lower daily suicide rates than the rest of the year. December also usually has the lowest incidences of suicides of the year. In reality, the holiday season has no connection to increased suicide rates and may even play a protective role. This time of the year, 
according to the researchers, because there are so many social gatherings, because there are, uh, there are increases in social connections, those social gatherings, those connections, those times with friends and family and loved ones, even the ones that you think are annoying, those times actually keep people going. Those, those conversations, those meals, those phone calls, those, those cards, Christmas cards that show up in the mail, those type of things keep people going, those relational connections. So I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge, challenge you to show up to that thing, show up to that family thing, show up to that church thing, get dressed, buy a last-minute gift at the dollar store or something. And show up to that thing. I know the expectations can be heavy, but you just never know. You truly never know how much your company might mean to someone else and how much somebody's company might mean to you. And if our relational connections keep us going through the holiday months, well, imagine if we leaned into those relationships year-round, how much that could breathe life into us. George received a visitor, he received a guest, he received some company, an angel by the name of Clarence, and Clarence gave him some hope. He showed him what life would look like if he actually had never been born. Let's take a look. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We went here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be? See, friends, disappointment might be a part of your life, but disappointment does not have to define your life. George experienced a moment of disappointment. A friend showed up and leaned in and helped him shift his perspective to see that his life truly is wonderful. I pray this season as you will lean into those relationships and encourage other people and allow people to pour into you and to receive that encouragement back as well. You may be going through a block of discouragement, but that discouragement does not have to define all of who you are and all that God has for you. So maybe, just maybe, your expectations and your reality are a mile apart. Maybe you're not the person that you wanted to be this time of the year. You had some other aspirations and hopes, so maybe reality and expectation are far apart. Maybe you got some unexpected news. Maybe you didn't expect to lose a loved one. Maybe you didn't expect to be rejected by that person. Maybe you didn't expect to lose a job. Maybe you didn't expect to get that diagnosis. Fill in the blank. Maybe you didn't expect that thing that entered into your life. But we serve a God who is not surprised by these things. 
He has a sovereign perspective. He sits on high. And the way the old ladies at my old church would say it, he sits up high, but he looks down low. And he steps into our picture. He steps into our story. And though we may be in this gap of disappointment, Jesus Christ entered into our gap of disappointment when he died on the cross. And though there's a gap between who we are and who God is, Jesus takes our sin and our shame upon himself. He takes our disappointment and our sorrow upon himself. And he died on the cross for that. And see, Jesus died a terrible death, a horrendous death, a terrible death, so that you and I could live a wonderful life, a life of eternal hope, a life of purpose, a life that's not easy, a life that's not free of pain, but a wonderful life in him, the true life in the resurrection. And I just want to encourage someone who may feel like you're walking in darkness today. Jesus steps into that gap of disappointment with you. He wants to be the light that guides you out of that, that gap of disappointment. George had a change in perspective. He saw what life would look like without him. He began to see that his life actually was wonderful after all. And because he began to embrace the gift of life, he began to share that joy with others. And he has a contagious joy that he begins to share with everyone around him. I want to close with that and we'll be done for the day. George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu pedals! Zuzu... There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas! Oh, I could eat you up. 
Where's your mother? We're looking for you. With Uncle she... Billy. Daddy! Zozo! Zozo, my little ginger snap. How do you feel? Fine. Not a smidge of temperature. Not a smidge of temperature. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hello. George! George's circumstances didn't change, but his perspective did. And the result was a contagious joy that he shared with all of those around him. And I pray the same for you and I this holiday season, that the life that we have in Christ would give us a contagious joy that we share with a world that desperately needs it. I want to invite you to stand this morning to receive the benediction as we prepare to go. One little announcement this Wednesday will be men's huddle here at War Church at 6 a.m. This Wednesday, we're going to be discussing this movie and debriefing it as men. There's something about this movie that has resonated deeply with men throughout the years, and so look forward to, to discussing that with you guys this Wednesday. I want you to receive this benediction. Go as lights into a world that desperately needs it. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Be blessed. Merry Christmas.